he arrived in Beijing on November the 16th to deal with the vexed problems of Japan's relations with China, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe learned that he was failing to solve the vexed problems of U.S. military bases in the southern Japanese island of Okinawa. The news may have come as something of a surprise, but certainly it was also a disappointment. Abe and his LDP government have been hoping that they had finally solved a problem that has defied any solution for the last 18 years, the closure of the U.S. Marines base at Futenma in central Okinawa. When that base was first created soon after the U.S. forces took Okinawa in the closing months of World War II, it was on its own. But over the years, the base has been ever more closely surrounded by the buildings, homes and schools of the substantial city of Jinawan, for whom the noisy marines, jets and helicopters are an infernal nuisance. Yet the Okinawa bases remain strategically very important both for the Americans and also for its ally, Japan. Eighteen years ago, plans were drawn up to close Futenma and replace it with a new base created at Hanoko in the less crowded northern end of Okinawa. But public opinion in Okinawa has been as opposed to any new base as well as Futenma. Okinawa politicians inevitably adapted to this reality. The Americans would not close Futenma until a new base was built, but permission to build a new base was never granted. The current governor of Okinawa, Hirokazu Naikama, was twice selected on a no-replacement-for-Futenma platform. Last year, Abe sought to break the impasse. He persuaded Governor Naikama to grant a land reclamation permit for the runways at a new Hanoko base, in return for which Abe pledged more than $3 billion worth of public works projects for Okinawa. This included a second runway at the main Okinawa airport, work on which has already started. For a while it looked as if Abe had broken the base's impasse. But perhaps Abe forgot the four-yearly election for Okinawa governor. In the recent election, Nakaima was posed by a well-known anti-basis campaigner, Takeshi Onaga, who had helped to get Nakaima elected in 2010 on an anti-basis platform. The bad news that Abe received on arrival in Beijing was that Onaga had decisively defeated the incumbent governor by 100,000 votes. There would seem to be no easy way out of the Okinawa impasse for Abe. There is absolutely no chance at all that when Onaga is finally installed as governor, he will accept the same compromise as Nakaima did. The new military base will not be built, Onaga said after his election victory. I will convey the will of the Okinawan people to the governments of Japan and the United States. The strong anti-base convictions of many Okinawans mean that accepting Hinoko base in exchange for the closure of Futenma base is simply not on the political cards. Abe may try to persist with the land reclamation permit given by Naikama, but Onaga immediately indicated that he will start looking for legal grounds for revoking that permit. Abe could energetically search for some alternative, relatively empty area for a Futenma replacement.
But that would probably mean going outside Okinawa, which would be very inconvenient for the Americans. And Shinzo Abe's government is eager to support Obama's pivot to Asia. Various descriptions have been used to describe the first ever meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, depending on which photograph is referred to. The often stern countenance of Xi is said to be a signal to the ardent Chinese anti-Japanese nationalists who have been further aroused by the Xi regime's sustained propaganda. The slightly less stern countenance of Abe is said to single less ardent Japanese anti-Chinese nationalists. See, I got here without giving anything away. The best photo, in my view, was a pool photograph taken by Kim Kyung-hoon, sideways on, perfectly proportioned, with both leaders staring at each other with hands outstretched but not touching. It seemed as if both were still wondering, do I really want to shake hands with this man? After the handshake, she and Abe met for only 25 minutes. The Beijing People's Daily assured its readers that she had reminded Abe that Japan was to blame for the recent deterioration of the Sino-Japanese relationship. According to the free Japanese press, Abe said that the meeting was the first step for improving ties by returning to mutually beneficial relations based on common strategic interests. Perhaps the meeting was an affable Abe Shi chat, but it was not intended to mark an important breakthrough in itself. That had already been achieved the previous Friday, November the 7th. Then, according to Chinese press sources, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and Japanese Foreign Minister Fumio Kishida had approved the resumption of Sino-Japanese political, diplomatic and security dialogues. Also on that Friday, according to Ms. Shannon Tiezi, reporting for the Diplomat website, quote, The real breakthrough in Sino-Japanese relations occurred. State Councillor Yang Jiechi and Japanese National Security Advisor Shotaro Yashi jointly issued a four-point accord on improving Sino-Japanese ties. The text was made available to the media from Xinhua and from Japan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs with some interesting differences in the English translations, unquote. While most press and media were cursory with their coverage of what was hailed as a four-point Sino-Japanese accord, but also as a consensus, I am indebted to the diplomat for being more detailed. The first point in the accord was simply that China and Japan pledged to continue to develop a mutually beneficial relationship based on common strategic interests. So it is interesting that Abe's reported remark to Xi echoed this sentiment. In order to do this, in the accord, both sides reconfirmed their commitment to the four basic documents issued between China and Japan, which have served as the basis for China-Japan relations since the normalization of diplomatic ties in 1972. The four documents are the China-Japan Joint Statement of 1972, which paved the way for normalization, the China-Japan Treaty of Peace and Friendship of 1978, the China-Japan Joint Declaration of 1998, 
and a joint statement on advancing relations in 2008. No doubt, scholars and journalists will now be scrutinizing these documents again to see if they offer any clues to the future progress of a troubled relationship. The second point in the accord responded to the Chinese demand for Japan to adopt a proper attitude towards history and to stop whitewashing Japan's military past. The Chinese text of the accord said both sides reached some agreement, while the Japanese text said both sides reached some recognition of the need to overcome political differences by facing history squarely and looking forward to the future. So China can satisfy itself with an agreement which stipulates facing history squarely, while Japan can point to the stress on looking forward to the future. The caveat that China and Japan had reached some consensus on this point indicates how far apart the two sides really are on historical issues. Japan's use of some recognition rather than some agreement implies even greater distance. The third and potentially most crucial point in the accord addresses the issue of the Senkaku Islands, which Japan says it has owned since 1895, and the Daoyu Islands, which China has only claimed since the 1970s. Japan has officially refused to even acknowledge China's claim, let alone recognize it. In the Chinese version of the accord, China and Japan acknowledge that different positions exist between them regarding the tensions that have emerged in recent years. The Japanese version waters this down to China and Japan acknowledge that different views exist between them. So the accord does not directly mention the territorial dispute. China and Japan are not agreeing to disagree on the territorial issue. They are only agreeing that different stances exist on the cause behind recent tensions. As the diplomat points out, this may seem like a minor point, but it's a carefully crafted diplomatic compromise. The consensus here gives China just enough to justify a thawing of diplomatic ties after its long-time hardline stance that Japan must make certain concessions for the relationship to move forward. Japan, however, avoids actually acknowledging that China claims the Senkaku-Daoyu Islands. Previous press reports that Abe would agree to acknowledge differing views on the Daoyu-Senkaku dispute were right in general but wrong in their specifics. Japan has not acknowledged China's competing claim to the islands. In fact, the Japanese Foreign Ministry website still states that there exists no issue of territorial sovereignty to be resolved concerning the Senkaku Islands. The accord merely states that Japan only recognized that China holds different views over how recent tensions in the area arose in the first place. But at least there is a tentative promise for both Japan and China to use dialogue and consultation to prevent tension in the East China Sea from further worsening. The Japanese version mentioned the possibility of developing a crisis management mechanism while the Chinese version referred to crisis mechanisms to help keep incidents from getting out of hand. Interestingly, as he left for the Beijing APEC conference, Abe mentioned that he might be discussing such a mechanism while he was there. 
The fourth point in the accord promises to continue the process which produced the accord in the first place. China and Japan agree to gradually resume political, diplomatic and security dialogue through various multilateral and bilateral channels. There have been several rounds of quiet diplomatic talks led and encouraged by, among others, former Japanese Prime Minister Yasuo Fukuda. Informal diplomatic exchanges are now likely to lead to many more formal exchanges. Shinzo Abe certainly has continuing problems with Okinawa and China. But having now called a totally unexpected snap election on December the 14th, he would seem to have less of a problem with the Japanese electorate. Only two recent Japanese prime ministers won a second general election during their incumbency the well-regarded Yasuhiro Nakasone in 1986 and the popular Junichiro Koizumi in 2005. Both scored a landslide before finally leaving office. Abe, by contrast, scored his landslide in 2012 soon after taking up office, winning over 300 seats in the House of Representatives if the 31 new Komeito coalition partners are also included. It will be difficult for Abe to repeat that success, the more so if the diverse and disunited opposition parties are able to arouse a backlash against Abe for calling another election when he had already a secure majority until 2016. The opposition parties may be unable even to do that, the more so if Abe is able to convince the electorate that this election is not just a power grab, but that continuity of his LDP government until 2018 is essential if his economic program, known as Abenomics, is to succeed. Another danger for Abe is that the electorate may assume, with or without help from the opposition, that the current unexpected recession proves Abenomics to be a failure. At first sight, the most likely election result seems to be a loss of LDP seats and a reduced but still strong LDP majority. But if Abe makes an effort to be forceful, eloquent and persuasive, as well as well-organized, he could still do better than Nakasone and Koizumi and enjoyed two landslides during an extended premier.